Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. We're turning to the book of Proverbs, and I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 11. As each week goes by, we are seeing another angle of Proverbs' wisdom for God's people to live life as God intends it to be lived, according to His created order, according to His character, and according to His commandments. Last week, we looked particularly at what Proverbs had to say about the topic of anger, and today we are looking at the topic of pride and humility. Now, just as a reminder, before we come and read God's Word, we need to remember what Proverbs has already told us in those first nine chapters about the nature of wisdom. Proverbs told us that we will only be able to receive God's Word rightly if we come in the fear of the Lord with a listening heart and mind, trusting the Lord and guarding our hearts. And so I'll remind us again this morning that we must come in the fear of the Lord with a listening heart and mind, trusting the Lord and guarding our hearts. And it's with that commitment that we turn to read from God's Word. We read just one verse this morning. Proverbs 11, verse 2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And God, how we pray that you would use your word in our hearts this morning. Would it be by the power of your spirit a double-edged sword to pierce to our hearts the joint and the marrow that we might be convicted of sin and brought to our Savior Jesus Christ? We pray it in his name. Amen. I'd like to start this morning by giving you a riddle. The riddle goes like this, and some of you love riddles, so you're ready to uh, sort of pierce through these uh, words here. The riddle is this, I am an attitude which makes a man unpopular, but a man rarely sees me in himself. The more a man has me, the more he complains about me in others. I'm an attitude which makes a man unpopular. But a man rarely sees me in himself. The more a man has me, the more he complains about me in others. What am I? And of course, the answer to this riddle is pride. Pride, which we so often don't see in ourselves. And the more we focus on ourselves, the more we can't stand other people who are focused on themselves. And such is the insidious cycle of arrogance and self-consumption. Well, Scripture as a a whole, and certainly the book of Proverbs, has much to say about the topic of pride and humility. And when it comes to the book of Proverbs, I would suggest that chapter 11, verse 2, which we have just read, is Proverbs' theme song, if you will, on the topic of pride and humility. And you know how a theme song works. It states a particular line of music that's so recognizable. Maybe you think of the the theme music for Darth Vader entering, or maybe you think of the theme music for the Shire and the Lord of the Rings. And of course, after stating the theme, the composer then develops that theme, and there's variation and added depth, and it takes different angles. And that's how Proverbs is going to work with 
pride, and humility. There are points and variations and root causes and consequences to be named. But the essence of Proverbs' repeated theme is this. Pride leads to disgrace, destruction, and punishment, while humility leads to wisdom, honor, and life. That's what we want to look at this morning. And in order to unpack this theme, I want us to ask three questions this morning. What are pride and humility? What are the consequences of pride and humility? And what is the antidote for pride which can produce humility? What are pride and humility? What are the consequences of pride and humility? And what is the antidote for pride that leads to humility? That's our game plan this morning. So let's start the first question. What are pride and humility? Well, they're familiar words to us. We can get some depth by looking at these words in Scripture. The main words for pride in the Old Testament and New involve the ideas of arrogance and insolence. They involve thinking of ourselves, our worth, our ability, our importance too highly or what is beyond reality what is inappropriate or out of accord with what is true. And it is acting arrogantly toward God or others out of this inappropriately inflated view of ourselves. The Greek word here is hubris. You've probably heard the word hubris before. It's this overweening pride or this overbearing uh, sense of myself. The Greek world talked much about hubris, In fact, many of the Greek myths were particularly critiquing this vice of pride. Some of you know the story of the Iliad where the hero Achilles responds in in pride of his own honor or worth and in his arrogance he responds in a way that leads to death and destruction for his comrades. Or maybe you think of the Greek myth of Arachne. It's quite a, a sad Uh, state when your name is mostly captured in the word we use for spiders these days. Arachne was given great skill in weaving by the goddess Athena, but instead of recognizing that her gift was given to her by the goddess, she challenged Athena to a competition, believing that she was better than Athena herself. And for her hubris, her arrogance, she was changed into a spider and condemned to weave webs instead of beautiful tapestries. This is hubris in the ancient world, and that's the word that Scripture uses most often for pride as well. This overbearing arrogance from too high uh, an opinion of our honor or ourselves. Paul actually introduces a second word for pride as well. It's unique to his letters, so he may have uh, made it up or or used it uh, for the first time. And this word suggests something that is unnaturally swollen or puffed up. Think of a balloon that is filled too full of air and will pop at the slightest touch. Or think of maybe your ankle or your knee when you're injured, the way it swells up unnaturally. And so Paul's suggesting that pride is an inflated view of yourself. It's this arrogance and self-consumption. And Scripture tells us that this pride is wicked for two reasons. The first is because of who God is and who we are. To exalt ourselves and to think so highly or too highly of ourselves and our importance when we are creatures made of dust— And when God is our creator and our sustainer, the Lord of lords and King of kings, 
That is utter insolence and arrogance. It's inappropriate and out of accord with who we are before God. I think Proverbs brings this out well by tying humility to the fear of the Lord and pride to a rejection of the fear of the Lord. If you have your your bulletin with you and you turn to page 6 where we've listed a number of these Proverbs here, note particularly that Proverbs 15.33 and Proverbs 22.4 closely tie humility and the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15 uses a parallelism and talks about the fear of the Lord and humility as going together. Proverbs 22.4 says the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So humility and the fear of the Lord go together. But Proverbs 8.13 on the other hand suggests that pride and arrogance are the opposite of the fear of the Lord. They are attitudes which a proper fear of the Lord hates. Now, if you think about it, this makes sense. Because in our study of Proverbs, we've already defined the fear of the Lord as a proper recognition of and response to the greatness of God and who He is in His power, holiness, justice, and truth. And as creatures of the dirt, if we are full of ourselves, we clearly do not have a proper recognition of who we are and who God is in His exalted glory. And to respond in a way that is full of ourselves is arrogant and insolent before Him. And so the first reason Scripture gives for why pride is so wicked is its wrong view of who God is and who we are. But the second reason is that everything we have has been given to us. And so pride is inappropriate. I mean, just think about it. Did any one of you sit in your mother's womb and think to yourself, I think I'm going to make my legs really athletic. Or I think I'll develop my brain really artistically. Or to be really smart. Of course not. That's ridiculous. Any ability or talent we have is given to us by God. We can nurture those talents, but they are given by Him. Do you get any credit for your salvation? As if one day as a sinner you said, Well, I know I've got this figured out. I know how to sort of rescue myself and figure out how to get to the Lord. Well, of course not. We are responsible. We are called to repent and turn to the Lord in faith and to follow Him. But salvation is a gift given to you by the grace of God thanks to the work of Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 2.8 tells us. Can you boast of any of your business success? Of course not. The Lord can take it away in the snap of a finger. And anything you have is a blessing from Him. And so as Paul puts it so well in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you do receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And you see, the Scripture's second point is that pride, arrogance, is inappropriate and offensive to God because everything we have is given to us by Him. Well, that's what pride is. Humility, on the other hand, is thinking of ourselves properly in accordance with truth and reality. Now, the word for humility is a word that suggests a sense of your littleness. A sense of your littleness. And I like that description of humility. In fact, maybe that presses on our hearts right away. 
Do you and I agree with the biblical idea that we are to have a sense of our smallness? Because that is what is right. It is recognizing our limitations, our smallness before the majesty of God, and our smallness relative to other human beings, that we are not to exalt ourselves before them. That's at the heart of humility. But Paul, again, introduces a second concept of humility. Not only is it a sense of our smallness, but in light of Christ's example of laying aside his glory in order to serve us, Paul says in Philippians 2 that Christ-like gospel humility not only recognizes our smallness, but it is also a willingness to empty ourselves of even what we are and have for the sake of others. Humility is to put ourselves under others to serve them for their sake. It is to consider their interests ahead of our own after the pattern of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So at root, what do we have here? Pride is thinking too highly of ourselves, out of proportion with our place before God and others, and it is acting arrogantly as a result. Humility, on the other hand, is a sense of our proper littleness, and in Christ, a willingness to empty ourselves further for the sake of others. That is what pride and humility are. But let's go on then and ask the second question. What are the consequences of pride and humility? And here is where Proverbs really moves in on us. As I said in the introduction, Proverbs' main point is that pride leads to disgrace, destruction, and punishment, whereas humility leads to honor and life. But Proverbs develops this from a couple of angles, specifically three angles I want us to see this morning. The first angle is that God responds to pride with punishment and to humility with favor. In other words, this theme describes God's own response to pride and humility. If you have your list of the Proverbs in front of you, look at Proverbs 3.34, where Proverbs says, towards the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. That is, God stands against or stands opposed to the arrogant but gives grace to the humble. This proverb is the one that both Peter and James quote in the New Testament. But it's not just that God stands against it. If you look in Proverbs 8.13, we find that it is even stronger than that because God says pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. God hates pride. And if that's not strong enough, look at Proverbs 16 verse 5 where we read, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Abomination is the strongest term for God's opposition in the Old Testament, and it expresses how deeply pride and arrogance are an affront to God. Now, this was striking to me this week, because I don't know if you're like me. When I think about what Proverbs has to say about pride, the first thing that comes to my mind is pride goes before the fall, right? But when you think pride goes before the fall, I at least have the image of a parent warning their teenager about the consequences of a foolish decision and sitting back and think, if they're not going to listen to me, they'll discover the consequences soon enough. And so I sort of have this picture of God saying, here's the consequences of pride. You're going to fall on it. 
But that picture is not appropriate for the strength of God's opposition to pride. He hates pride. It is an abomination to him. And he promises he will punish it. And if that's true, I need to have a greater hatred for my own pride. I mean, just just think about it. If you have a teacher who hates it when you turn in your assignments late and you care about getting a good grade, you're not going to turn your assignments in late. Or if you're married and your spouse hates it when you chew gum, you will not chew gum in order to honor your spouse. But how much more than either of those two things when we find out that God, who is our highest authority, the King of Kings, And the one who has loved us with an everlasting love in Jesus Christ, when we find out that he hates pride is an abomination, how much more ought we to stand against our pride and arrogance as well? Of course, on the flip side, God loves and honors humility. To consider our smallness and to act accordingly, to empty ourselves as Christ did to serve others, receives great blessing. Proverbs 22.4, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. So God's response to pride is punishment and his reward for humility is favor. But the second angle that Proverbs develops here is that these consequences for pride and humility, disgrace and honor, are also social consequences of pride and humility among our fellow human beings. Proverbs 29, 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. And you know how this works, don't you? Pride goes before the fall is true. And sometimes we see that in in hilarious contexts, like when I talk smack in a board game and then end up getting completely destroyed in the end. But sometimes it happens in more significant context, the arrogant husband who is humbled by the breakdown of his marriage, the cocky kid who gains a bad reputation and loses friends. And this just makes sense because if pride is thinking of ourselves too highly, out of accord with reality, and we act according to that out of accord with reality sense of ourselves, we're going to be brought down to earth. We will be humbled. But on the flip side, favor and honor are the natural result of acting out of humility in ways that honor others. Don't we all naturally enjoy and respect and honor those who act with humility? You remember, you remember Jesus' parable of the wedding feast and how he explained how this works when he said in Luke 14, when you're invited to a feast, don't take a seat that's too high for yourself or you're going to be humbled, the host is going to come and say, friend, why did you think you should sit that high? You need to move lower. But rather humble yourself and take a low seat that the host might say, friend, why did you put yourself so low? Move up higher with me. See, Proverbs Proverbs tells us that between uh, each other on the parallel plane with our fellow human beings, pride will lead to fall and disgrace, while humility will lead to honor. So this is God's response to pride and humility and to the consequences among ourselves. But third, the third angle Proverbs adds to this theme is that not only does pride itself earn punishment from God, 
Pride multiplies other sins in your life as well. If you are proud, it will lead to more sins. Look at Proverbs chapter 30, the last proverb I've printed there for you, verses 11 through 14. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. There are those who are clean in their own eyes but are not washed of their filth. There are those, how lofty are their eyes, how high their eyelids lift. There are those whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives to devour the poor from off the earth, the needy from among mankind. These verses are describing a particular group of people. There are those, this group of people, and their central characteristic is their pride and haughtiness. You've got to love Proverbs, by the way, and its description. Its description of the proud, how high are their eyelids? I found myself this week as I was thinking about this at my desk, trying to see how high my eyelids could go and what that made you look like when your eyelids were really high. Well, this is a beautiful description. We know this kind of person. Their eyes are so lofty as they look down on others. And Proverbs' point is, this inflated view of yourself leads you to sin in many other ways as well. Because what does this pride lead this group of people to do? To curse their parents rather than respect their parents. To be blind to their own sins rather than aware of their sins to harm others in order to elevate themselves. In other words, pride is not only a sin in itself, but it leads to other sins. And we can multiply this list. Sin leads to discontentment. Pride leads to selfishness. Pride leads to anger. It leads to greed and so on. In fact, C.S. Lewis took this a step further. C.S. Lewis argued that in its nature, Pride makes us incapable of fulfilling either of the two great commandments. We cannot know and love God if we are proud, and we cannot love others if we are proud. Here's what Lewis wrote. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot very well see what is above you. You cannot know and love God if you are proud. And then Lewis adds, pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of loving others. For how can we genuinely love others when we are focused on ourselves? And so this morning, may we see pride not as this general sin everybody talks about and we all know we all have some of it. No, may we see it as a spiritual cancer that undermines our ability to know and love God or to love and serve others. Humility, on the other hand, multiplies godliness. I think this is at the heart of Paul's argument in Philippians 2. Remember how Paul calls on us to have the same mind in us as was in Christ Jesus, emptying ourselves to consider others more significant than ourselves? And what does he say will be the result of that humility? Having the same mind with one another. That is peace and unity with one another, and having the same love with one another. And I think we could keep going down the list of the fruits of the Spirit. For doesn't genuine humility lead to love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Genuine humility will lead to these fruits of the Spirit in our lives. And so 
Proverbs argues that pride leads to punishment and opposition from God, disgrace among men, and a multiplication of sin and destructiveness in our life. While humility leads to favor from God, honor among men, and a multiplication of godliness in our lives. And my question for us this morning is, is that a stark enough contrast from God's word to get our attention and make us long to hate pride and pursue humility? If it does, the natural question we have to ask next is, how do we get humility? I found it interesting. I was reading two secular sociologists who were talking about the problems of selfishness and narcissism in our culture. And they both suggested the same solution. As the one wrote, we should encourage that quaint old virtue of humility that religious people talk about. Well, that sounds nice. That's rather humorous. But doesn't it beg the question? We're talking about you and me here. We're talking about sinners whose natural inborn reflex is to protect ourselves, consider ourselves, and think about ourselves. We're talking about a spiritual cancer at the heart of who we are that keeps showing up. We can't just decide to practice a little good old quaint humility. We need an antidote to our pride that will produce in us humility. And when we cry out for such an antidote, the scriptures point us straight to the foot of the cross. Because there at the cross, we find that Christ emptied himself and became man and suffered and died in our place for you and for me. And that then God raised him from the dead and he was exalted to the right hand of God where God gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And from the right hand of God Christ has sent his Holy Spirit to make anyone who repents and turns to follow him in faith a new creation accepted by God and received as a son or daughter of the king. And there, at the foot of the cross, in the good news of what Jesus has done, we realize who we really are, creatures of dust before the all-glorious king and sinners who have rebelled against that king at that. And that realization cuts us down to size and reminds us of our unworthiness before God and our littleness compared to our fellow human beings. And there at the foot of the cross in the good news of the gospel, we realize that our only hope is the grace of God. Not anything we can achieve or earn ourselves. And we are humbled by our dependency upon Jesus Christ. And there at the foot of the cross in the good news of the gospel, we realize that we don't have to posture anymore or promote ourselves anymore or jockey for position anymore because we've been accepted by God himself in the only court that matters. The only person whose opinion matters has accepted us in his presence thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord. And there at the foot of the cross in the good news of the gospel, we realize that this Savior has sent the power of the Holy Spirit into us to kill our selfish pride and to work in us the mindset of Jesus, the way of thinking that Jesus has. And there, if we are united to Christ who emptied himself for us, pride and promoting ourselves should be utterly impossible 
and revolting. And there at the foot of the cross, in the good news of the gospel, we find the antidote as God kills our pride and produces in us, in Christ, through the work of his spirit, the multiplying fruits of humility for his glory. That is our hope. Well, as we come to an end in our last minute here, can I ask you if you'll do a quick spiritual PET scan of your hearts to look for any remnants of the cancer of pride? Of course, there are so many ways that pride and thinking of ourselves could show up in our lives, and we should be on guard against any way that we might try to promote ourselves before God or others. But can I just suggest to us two ways that I think pride shows up in the church of Christ very often? The first is moral superiority. Jerry Bridges wrote a devastatingly helpful little book called Respectable Sins. Many of you know that book. And in it, he writes that moral superiority is either the top or one of the top two sins alive and flourishing in the church today. He said, why do we enjoy or find camaraderie in talking about how awful our culture is all around us? Is there often not a subtle pleasure or security we find from looking down at all the foolish sinners around us in comparison with ourselves? Of course, we need to discern between truth and error. Obviously, that's true. But Bridges puts it this way. He said, we as Christians often do not talk, act, or feel about others the way we ought to if we really believed there but by the grace of God go I. We as Christians often do not talk, act, or feel about those who do not know Christ in the ways we ought to if we really had a Christ-inspired zeal for the lost who don't know Jesus. How many times do we see this attitude in ourselves and will we recognize that the reason for it is pride? This can show up in spiritual superiority as well. We can look around at other people in the church or at other churches and be just as judgmental. How many times do we think, oh, I can't believe they did that? Or, I can't believe those parents are allowing them to do that. Or, I can't believe that church does that. Of course, maybe their actions are appropriate, maybe they're inappropriate, but we so quickly add sin to it in our own hearts and words and our response. And the warning for us is if our attitude tends to be dominated by criticism of others or other families or other parents or other churches, we need to ask what pride is lurking in our hearts. So beware of the pride of judgmentalism and moral superiority. The second area is the pride of achievement. I like to call this the, the sin of Christmas cards. You know how families write Christmas letters? And you know the Christmas letter that goes from sharing the quick update about your family to the one that begins to share all of the glowing achievements of every member of your family. My family still remembers the infamous keyboard letter. It just gave this glowing summary for page after page of their two children and all the things they had accomplished and ended with the comment, if my son keeps this up, the letter A is going to fall off the school's keyboard. And this was begin to be characteristic. Of course, we promptly added sin on our part by judging them and on our pride for not writing such letters. But we all know 
the pride, the desire, the inclination to let everyone else know about what we or our kids or our grandkids have accomplished, don't we? And here's the key. If we or our kids or our grandkids accomplish something that is good and excellent and worthy and right, we should delight in that because it's good and excellent and worthy and right. But if we delight in it because I was the one who accomplished it, when my grandkids were the one who accomplished it, now we have crossed into the realm of pride. So beware of the pride of achievement. Well, I'll let you continue to do your spiritual pet scan for pride in your hearts. But will we return to the wonderful news that is the antidote we need? That Jesus Christ has given himself for us and has invited us to repent of living for ourselves that we may receive and trust in and follow Jesus And may we live out the mind of Christ as we consider others more significant in ourselves, that in humility we might find honor and life from the Lord. Let's pray. Our God, how we we thank you for the work of Jesus Christ and how we thank you for your word which shines a spotlight on our hearts. Father, would we be willing to see the pride that shows up in us? Would we be quick to repent of it? Would we quickly affirm our own littleness and your majesty and greatness? May we hate pride as you hate it. And may we run to Jesus Christ that his mind might be worked in us, that we might give ourselves for one another, that you might receive the praise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.